welcome. Um, welcome to those doing church at home. Welcome to those here in the room. Uh, my name is Judy and uh, we're looking at disappointment this morning. Uh, so last week was friendship and uh, I uh, watched the service and uh, really enjoyed it. And then I thought, oh, now I've got to bring us down uh, into disappointment. So we were having a lovely time, weren't we? And now we're looking at relationships and how disappointed we can get in the thick of it. Um, Little Sebi, who lives next door to me, who I've talked about, who was a bit of a companion for me over the fence in lockdown sometimes, has a saying. And uh, he shouts it with quite a lot of glee, sometimes quite early in the morning. Leave me alone, I'm living my best life. Um, and the two are joined. He's alone and he's living his best life. And actually, isn't that the truth sometimes? <laughs> that life is good until relationships come along and bite us. We're living our best lives, maybe, but yet in desperate need, in longing need for relationship. And as we look at the story of us, as we uh, go into our third episode, if you like, of the story of us, where each of our stories, if you like, is linked into a proverb. Uh, the proverb that we're looking at today is a tricky one, I think. It says, hope deferred makes the heart grow sick but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. So looking at that first bit, hope deferred, hope deferred is uh, making us sick, if you like, is creating a heart sickness in all of us. And there's a very real danger, whether we're inside church today or whether we're outside of it looking in, whether you've just joined us, maybe even for the first time on YouTube or found us somehow, there's a danger of thinking that everybody else's life is perfect, or at least everybody else's life is much better than our own. And we actually live in a culture that cultivates that longing, because it says, actually, you would be better if, your life would be better if you change partners, your life would be better if you swap cars, your life would be better if you change jobs, change countries, bought something new. And it feeds our longing. So this longing that we have, this dissatisfaction that is wired into us, is cultivated by our culture. It's spoken to by our culture and creates this disappointment, this longing, this sense of not having arrived yet. The Welsh have a brilliant word for it, and uh, maybe Enid uh, can uh, put on the chat how to pronounce it, hiraeth. Um, and it's a word for homesickness, uh, a longing for a bliss or a place that no longer exists. A longing for a place that no longer exists. A horizon that just somehow eludes us for that perfect relationship, for that perfect parenting moment, for that perfect moment in your job or in our relationships with friends. And relationships fail because of who we are and because of who they are. <laughs> Let's just think about that for a moment. Relationships fail because of who we are and because of who they are. Whoever the person is that we're thinking of, and I'm sure as we talk today and as we listen, there will be a relationship for many of us that is in our minds right now, in our hearts right now, that is raw, that is broken. And maybe some of the deal of it not working is on us. 
And often we think if that person could just change, if they could just be more like this, if they could just be a bit more extrovert, if they could just like going out as much as I do, if they could just whatever, and we fill in the blanks. But somehow that longing, we're feeding it by some of these self-talks that each of us come up with because of who we are. And as we heard from Sarah last week, Adam, it wasn't good, we heard, for him to be alone. That much we know is true. But we also know that the Garden of Eden in Genesis, right at the beginning of the Bible, if you read it, was beautiful and was paradise. And Adam was alone until Eve joined him. And when Eve joined him, he finally had someone who would reflect him back. All our relationships reflect us back. They reflect us back. We might not see that, but they do. And so Adam was given Eve and suddenly he had someone that reflected back who he really was. And it was all going well. And then perhaps if you know the story, sin entered the garden through greed and through self. And suddenly that first relationship in paradise was broken. And our relationships have been broken ever since. So I'd like to just start this morning by saying, take a load off yourself if you are in an imperfect relationship. Because every single one of us here is. Because we're in it and because they're in it, okay? And neither of us are perfect. None of us are. So we can breathe. I see some of the tension just lifting off you as we speak. We are imperfect people. And church, I would dare to say, even more so. Because we know we're broken. That's why we're here. Or that's why we're joining in. We know we are broken. And for years, I thought church was like a jigsaw puzzle where you had to be a little bit perfect and you had to be a certain way and all your curves had to be in the right place and all of that. And so you had to fit. But then suddenly somebody in a talk smashed a pot um, deliberately and uh, just said, this is church. All these broken pieces... This is church. All these broken shards and shattered pieces being renewed by the hope of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit because we know we need it, because we know there is a longing for us to grow as well as our relationships. In the garden, temptation comes because of self, because of gratification, because of grabbing, and our culture feeds that. Uh, in so many different ways. C.S. Lewis says in Screwtape Letters that uh, the devil, Screwtape in this instance, is creating a world where people will begin to devour each other. Now, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? It's not cannibalism, in case you're worried. But he's saying in a way that we have a mindset in our relationships that says, what can you give me? What can I get, which began in the Garden of Eden? What can I get from you? And I was really challenged, actually, as I always am, <laughs> preparing for this talk, because I thought, I'm so like that sometimes. I'm like, why am I always the friend initiating that? Why am I always the one doing that? Why am I always the one picking up the phone to say sorry? This time I won't. You know, and I'm writing a talk on, on relationships, so feel free to tune out now. But genuinely, we are broken in that way, because we have a need, we have a longing that we, no one person on this earth is ever going to satisfy no one person can do it for us. But the problem is, particularly if you're married, that actually there's so much pressure on that relationship to be the one that completes you. We know that from the Hollywood stuff, but we also know it's not true. 
that actually no other person, as lovely as they may be and as loved up as we may be, will complete us. They can't, because actually the only one who can complete us is Jesus. The only love that will never let us down is his love. Lauren Winner says, when we're in love with someone, we appear to attend to our loved one, when in fact we're doing the very opposite. Instead of being attentive, we are acquisitive. We use the other person for our own glorification. We bask in the presence of our loved one because we enjoy the image of ourselves that is reflected back. Um, I thought that was quite funny, but actually quite true as well. That's Lauren Winner. I don't know who she is or what her experience is, but she's a very honest woman uh, because she says sometimes Sometimes our relationship becomes all about how we want to look, how we want to feel. Um, and in the passage that Kirsty read for us, we have Jesus absolutely getting some of this massive fragility and pain that every single one of us feel. If ever we thought we had a saviour that didn't get our pain, that didn't get betrayal, that didn't get broken relationships, this passage certainly goes to the very heart. Sarah told us last week that actually as Jesus faced his death, he took his inner circle of friends with him. The people he trusted the most in the whole world, the people he'd invested the most in to go with him towards his death and what happens they fall asleep his friends fall asleep and we hear in verse 38 my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death stay here and keep watch with me and it's not often that Jesus in the gospels asks for help from somebody else in this way this is him at his most vulnerable saying Guys, can you stay with me? Can you stay alert with me? And actually, they, they fall asleep multiple times. They put their own immediate physical needs ahead of his. And he says again in verse 40, could you not help, could you not watch and pray with me for one hour? In verse 31, watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. And then Jesus says something which I myself have heard many times, but in preparation for this talk, it really hit me again. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And as we look at our relationships, as we look at those who let us down and those who we know we let down, our spirit is willing, isn't it? Very often, but our flesh is weak. That actually so often we want to be that person that is succeeding in that relationship or has got over that or has forgiven that or whatever the breakage has been. But actually the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. And Jesus says, watch and pray that you won't fall into temptation. And maybe for you, your parents tried hard to be good parents, but they failed you. Their spirit was willing, but somehow their flesh was weak. Maybe you have a parent that betrayed you or betrayed the marriage. Maybe you thought you were growing up in that perfect life and actually suddenly the house fell apart. I certainly know a bit of that myself. That perhaps we all think that we're living these lives that are shiny <clears throat> and appealing for others and then the house comes down. 
What was interesting in my life, and I've mentioned this before, and I'll talk a bit more about this when we look at singleness in a couple of weeks, but what was interesting is I loved the fact that people around me a few years back thought I was living my best life, a bit like Sebi. And people would say, oh, I love the freedom you have, and this and that, and it seems so good. And I thought, oh, great, that's witness. I'm witnessing. I'm showing people the love of Jesus. <clears throat> but actually, the most beautiful relationships were not forged then. They were forged when my life all fell apart. And actually, even my neighbours said, I saw the people who kept coming. I saw the love that was around you. And that is what inspired me. Our perfection, we think, will be the thing that will inspire people. The perfect marriage, the perfect relationship, the perfect parenting. I see enough of parents, I'm not a parent myself, but I see enough of parents that there seems so much guilt attached to that. So much of, oh, I, we're not doing well. You know, if you say to someone, I love your children, they'll, they'll tell you all the reasons why they're not doing very well. And you think, no, I've said, I love your children. They are amazing. Now, I don't have to spend the whole time with them and so you're probably thinking, Judy, bless you, you don't understand. But genuinely, I see that they are beautiful. They're not perfect, but they're beautiful because of all that you've invested into them. Because of all those times when your imperfect parenting, uh, your spirit was willing, but your flesh was weak. But God steps in and he works alongside us. He sees our brokenness. I was out walking yesterday with a friend and two quite energetic dogs. And uh, we were in Highbury Park. And um, the friend just said, she's a very knowledgeable friend, far more than me about these sort of scientific things. And she just said, Judy, do you love trees? And I said, yeah, they're okay. I'm not like wild about them. I don't spend time thinking about them particularly, but some people do and I get that. But she obviously does. And she said, the amazing thing about a tree was when it's about to die, the trees around it release this sort of minute fungi that reaches out and neutrifies and gives nutrients back to the dying tree. Um, so look it up. I'm sure they'll say it on Google better than that. But I thought, wow, isn't that church? Or church as we want it to be, life as we would like it to be, that when one of us is dying... When one of our relationships is in crisis, when one of us is going through the storm, when hope deferred is making our heart grow very sick indeed, that those around us release the fungi, not literally, but release the love, the healing, the prayer, as Jesus says here, the standing with, as we heard last week from Sarah, the being there with releasing the love that will stop the tree from dying, that will keep the relationship alive. And as a pastor, um, this is another one where you can have a little bit more relief because you're looking quite relaxed here in the room. But there is no perfect relationship. And what sometimes has almost amused me is that in the morning I'll have somebody come and see me and tell me how perfect such and such person's family is. And then in the afternoon, that very person, and this has happened, is in my office telling me how imperfect their life is. In other words, we have imperfect lives. And whether it looks like it, some of us are better than acting than others, perhaps, but the truth is those relationships that we are in are broken because we're in them and because the person is in them. Because they weren't parented as perhaps well as they would have liked to have been, because they got hurt along the way, because they got scarred along the way, and because we did. And so we can say to Jesus and with Jesus that actually our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. 
So what do we do about it? We all have, if you like, our own Gethsemanes. We can debunk the perfection myth, but we still live every day with comparison. And the Apostle Paul talks a lot about how comparison will drain us if we're looking at other people's relationships. He says in Galatians 5, when he looks at life by the Spirit, that we are eating each other and he even said biting each other, which I thought, we'll leave that there. Um, but actually, he says, we, we're having a piece of each other. And he says, do not devour each other. Do not bite into each other. He actually says that our struggles come when we start to devour each other and destroy each other, provoke each other or envy each other. And yet what we need is the spirit to keep in step with the spirit. He agrees, if you like, with Lewis in Screwtape Letters, going back to that thing of I have set them that they might devour each other in a picture of hell. He says the opposite is when we start to give to one another. So whatever that imperfect relationship is, how do we flip it to think, how do I give to that person in their brokenness? How do I love them even when they are unlovely, when they have hurt us, when they've wounded us, when they've abandoned us? Tim Keller says true humility, true gospel humility means an ego that is not puffed up but filled up with the Holy Spirit not puffed up, but filled up. That as we take in the Holy Spirit, and I, I think it's interesting that we did a series on the Holy Spirit and we followed it with relationships because the two are massively wedded into each other. What is the hope for our relationships? Much of it is our relationship with the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Holy Spirit that he gives us that Paul lists in Galatians 5. Love, joy, Peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Be in step with the Spirit, he says. And then again, Paul says in Romans 12, verse 2, Be transformed then by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Sometimes the relationships that have been hardest for us become our greatest teachers and our greatest victories. The way that we navigate the pain that we experience on a daily basis can be what actually refines us in those deep moments where we overcome not because of us, but because of God's help for us. P.T. Forsyth says, we shall come one day to a heaven where we shall gratefully know that God's great refusals were sometimes the true answer to our truest prayers. I really love that quote. I'll just read it again. We shall come one day to a heaven where we shall gratefully know that God's greatest refusals were sometimes the true answers to our truest prayers. Unanswered prayer is really hard. It's really hard when the horizon keeps moving and you keep thinking one day we'll arrive. One day we will be the perfect family, the perfect couple. One day we'll meet the perfect man, the perfect woman, whoever. I remember doing the West Highland Way a few years back. And uh, if any of you have ever done it, it's a beautiful walk, uh, often actually really sunlit, certainly in June when I did it. And uh, I loved, I really, really loved the walk until the last day. And what was interesting is on all the other days, we were just camping 
camping or we were in wigwams being bitten alive. I came back, some of you remember, I looked like I had measles when I came back because of all the midges. Um, but on the last day, suddenly sun went to rain and we were on Rannoch Moor, if you know it, and it is hardcore. And we knew that this was the only day we would stay in a beautiful bed and breakfast. Everything else had been kind of roughing it in wigwams and midges and so on. But we knew that there was this beautiful bed and breakfast and I'd Googled it, I'd seen what was on offer and I was very, very excited. But that last couple of miles were the hardest to walk of all because we could see it but we couldn't get to it and I swear someone moved it several times you know when you think oh I'm nearly there and then you just think I cannot believe we're not there yet and the reality for us is we're not there yet we're not home we're in the middle of our stories today we're in the middle of it We've just celebrated Easter together, but if you like, we're still in Easter Saturday in many ways. We're in the middle of a story that will get better. We're in the middle of the trees. So if you look at that proverb that we began with, with the tree of life, <clears throat> that fulfills the dream fulfilled as the tree of life, there was a tree at the beginning in Genesis. There's a tree when Jesus is hung on the cross. Often that is called the tree, but there's a tree at the end in Revelation. We're between trees, if you like. We have the hope of Jesus. We have the hope of the resurrection, but we have the hope of the one day where all our relationships will be perfected, where there will be no pain anymore. There will be no comparison anymore. The things that drain us, there will be no devouring, only serving, only giving, because we will be home. There's a, a lovely... Um, Laura's story, uh, song that Michelle sent me in preparing for this talk called Blessings. And some of the lyrics are, are really powerful. When friends betray us, when darkness seems to win, we know that pain reminds this heart that this is not our home. It's not our home. What if my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst this world cannot satisfy? What if the trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights are your mercies in disguise? And I can testify to the truth of that. You might think, well, that's a bit hallmark or that's a bit kind of let's stick it on the fridge. It might be sugary, but actually it's real. It's real, because we have a God who can redeem the relationship you're in, who can bring beauty for ashes, who can bring healing to your brokenness, whether it's in a new relationship or the one that you're staying in, that he can bring healing and resurrection. He can bring those beautiful fruits of his spirit at work, healing us and healing others. A dream fulfilled is a tree of life. One day rescue will come for us all. Finally with Jesus, finally united with him. And that heavenly home that seems to keep moving, but will one day be with us. And I think as we come, I'd love us to pray for each other like those trees that release the fungi uh, to one another. If you're sitting there today and you're thinking, actually, Judy, I'm not that disappointed. I'm quite grateful, actually. Then please be one of those trees that reaches out where others are dying, where other relationships are festering, where other people are not coping. And what does that require? As we heard last week, it requires that honesty. It requires authentic community 
that we, when we go for prayer now, and I hope and pray you will, because we need it. We need healing and we need that releasing of love from those around us to keep us until that horizon is realized.